for me, this, this scene in particular spoke to me this year has, um, has two characters besides Jesus were highlighted uh, in this scene and in this movie. And it was the characters of Judas and the characters of uh, Peter. And Judas is this guy who uh, was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he betrayed him. And in this scene, he's there uh, behind um, a, a, a pillar. And he's watching what's happening here. And I think the movie portrays very well the, the turmoil that Judas uh, goes on about once he, he, he realizes he has betrayed Jesus. And, and you see this. Um, I don't know if you notice in the movie, his, his lips start getting dry. The lips that kissed Jesus now are getting dry. It has, has like a symbol of his conscience getting heavy. And then you see these weird figures in this scene. There's this lady laughing, but then there's these kids and these figures, like these demons um, persecuting him. And then we have the figure of Peter, um, the guy who also walked with Jesus, was intimate to Jesus. And in this scene, it's a dramatic scene, a place where he also betrayed, uh, he denied his Lord Jesus. So this made me think, made me uh, reflect a bit, and, and that it was about these two characters, Peter and Judas, that I would like to share a little bit um, and reflect with you this morning. What did um, Judas and Peter have in common, and in what ways their response to what happened differ? What did they have in common, first of all? They both made a commitment to follow Jesus a few years before, and there's no indication or no reason to think that this commitment was anything but sincere in their faith. They, like the other dis disciples, they left everything and they, they decided to go and walk with Jesus. And both were actively involved in Jesus' ministry to both were given um, spiritual, um, remarkable spiritual gifts. And Luke tells us in one of the episodes that they are sent out with the other disciples. He said that Jesus called the twelve, all of them, and gave them power and authority over all demons, and they gave, gave them power to cure diseases and sent them out. So both um, experienced uh, things like this throughout these years. They both walked with Jesus. The greatest human being that ever walked on earth. They both had a personal, a close relationship uh, with Jesus. They directly witnessed many miracles. Both were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 people uh, with the loaves of bread and the uh, fish. They were there distributing with the baskets and saw that miracle coming. Um, they were both there in the boats. When Jesus calmed the storm and they were amazed at, at what happened there. And they both uh, saw with their own eyes when Jesus raised Lazarus from the death. They both were there. They both heard all the teachings of Jesus too. They heard the sermon on the mount. Um, they were there. They were there when they heard Jesus saying that there is a narrow path that leads to salvation. And there's a large road that leads to destruction. They were there when Jesus was scolding the Pharisees or scolding their hosts and telling them about uh, what the kingdom of God truly was about. That there was a hell to, 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 to run from and a heaven to, to pursue. And they were there when they heard the prodigal son uh, parables. Maybe Jesus told that parable many times and they were there hearing about words of forgiveness and uh, words of reconciliation and how God was pursuing his people for that. 
And yet, on that night, Judas and Peter, they also had in common their lack of faith. They both betrayed or denied this Jesus they had walked and learning from in the past three years. But the story continues, and we, um, we eventually understand that um, both have kind of different responses um, after they messed up. And that's exactly what I want to explore with you this morning, how they were able or not to deal with that situation, to deal with that guilt, and how, that, um, how their stories somehow portrays and how can we uh, be mirrored in, in their stories and in, in the experience. How does that talk about as well of our life journey? So let's turn our attention to Judas first. And um, again, this is a couple of reflections that I had and, and I'll be sharing with you. Um, and um, one of the things I thought was what were Judas' motives? Uh, what led him to betray Jesus in that way? And we are not told in the Bible when Judas started drifting away from, Judas, uh, from Jesus. There's not um, many things written directly about um, Judas, except one episode where in this last week, and Judas is in the house of Mary of Bethany, and she uh, uses a costly perfume to anoint Jesus. And Judas complains and says uh, that this money could have been used for a better purpose, like feeding the poor. So Judas, and the Bible says some other disciples too, they were like, why is she uh, wasting uh, this perfume? And then John writes uh, this comment, and he comments about Judas' insincerity. Um, because he was the, the group's, he, he was the group's treasurer. Uh, he was taking care of the common purse, but John comments that he used to steal uh, money from that purse. And I wonder if Matthew was with them, and Matthew was a tax collector, he knew how to deal with money. Why is Judas the one who deals with that money? But there is this detail. He was, he was stealing money. Something was going on there. But perhaps Judas, in, in his zeal, like many of the other disciples, in his zeal for his people, for Israelite and for the messianic figure, in his zeal to understand and his expectations to what Jesus was going to do and overthrown the, the Romans that were occupying their land, Jesus proclaiming to be the Messiah and they waiting to see amazing signs and Jesus, you know, raising an army. Maybe Judas started to be very frustrated when Jesus um, would not respond to his expectations. And when Jesus uh, was explaining that, yes, he was the Messiah, but his kingdom would be a spiritual kingdom in that moment. Perhaps that frustrated frustration started to build up. And perhaps when Jesus eventually starts calling his disciples for to be fully committed, maybe Judas started stepping back. Maybe he doesn't want to be that committed because things don't look like what he really expected. Maybe Judas was also embarrassed as at some Jesus teachings, especially when he was being invited to people's home and in many times scolding the host or, or criticizing the Pharisees. And Judas was like, whoa, maybe this is, this is not my place. Maybe all these kind of things, we don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us. But were there, um, Judas was thinking of such things. And the only thing we do know is that the actions of Judas eventually helped um, from to Jesus to be um, 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 got, uh, taken by the guards and, and, and to death. 
So we know uh, both Mark and Matthew, um, they place this episode of Judas when he goes and meets the high priests. He gets paid the 30 pieces of silver. They actually place this episode right after the episode of Mary of Bethany. So maybe that Mary of Bethany episode was like the last drop in the bucket. And he, Judas, knowing that the high priests were wanting to get Jesus, maybe Judas goes and, 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 and decides to, uh, from that moment, to find an opportunity to get Jesus. Um, Luke's describe, Luke and John, they describe these last moments saying that Satan made a relentless assault on Judas' soul. Lucas is very clear. He says, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And John says the same thing just before that last supper and even during that last supper. Satan entered Judas and Judas went and did what he had to do. Um, and yeah, sometimes I also feel, well, maybe poor Judas... Maybe he didn't have a chance. I mean, if the Bible says that Satan entered into him, what could he? What can he do about that? But I think we um, um, we shouldn't overlook um, um, the fact that um, Judas kept his heart or opened the door to Satan. There was there was he was stealing from the collective money bagged, and he kept this sin secret. Um, and even when he betrayed uh, Jesus, when he decided to go to the high priest, he still comes and he still sits at the Lord's table with unconfessed sin. Things were, were there, were seen, and, and things were, were messing up inside. So um, I think this, this tells us how unconfessed sins, um, hearts that are getting harder and harder by, by these things, they, they leave the door open for, for Satan's power. So Judas decides, he goes to the high priests, uh, he takes them to the Mount of Olives when, where Jesus is praying. And uh, the high priests uh, um, um, get Jesus and they take him to, to Caiaphas to, to judge him there. And this is where we, we now land on this clip. And now I see that G Judas uh, probably understands I mean, not probably. He understood his mistake. He now sees that Jesus is being accused of blasphemy. Maybe he betrayed Jesus because he thought, maybe now they will corner Jesus and ask him if he's the Messiah and all the high priests, all the people are there. Maybe now Jesus will show his true messianic colors. Maybe now will, Jesus will do a miracle and show his might. But Jesus kept quiet. And the only thing that Jesus said was this affirmation that, yes, he was this messianic figure. But to them, it was a big blasphemy. So they get Jesus. Jesus doesn't defend himself physically. And now Judas looks at the situation and he understands, I made a mistake. Maybe either Jesus is not really the Messiah or... Jesus is, is an innocent man, had his own plan, but Jesus is not here to fight. And that's what Matthew tells us, um, chapter 27, when, Jesus, when, Judas, sorry, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And what do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. 
Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Judas couldn't handle. Judas couldn't handle the situation. He had betrayed his teacher who he had traveled for years. He had heard beautiful words of salvation and forgiveness. And now he sees his teacher being uh, beaten up. He couldn't handle the fact that he was the one betraying his teacher to the leading priests. He was also ashamed. He couldn't even go back to his group of friends, the other apostles and disciples, because Peter, John, and James were there in the Mount of Olives. They had seen that it was Judas who came and kissed Jesus and gave him back to the leading authorities. He had no one to go and seek some sort of, uh, some sort of comfort and, 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 and deal with his pain. But I, I also um, I, I wonder, had Judas remembered the words of forgiveness and salvation of Jesus... Had he remembered there was a message of forgiveness available to all, would he still have chosen to end his life tragically? Had Judas sought for group support, would he have committed suicide? And, or had Judas not committed suicide and in time heard about Jesus' resurrection, had he got the chance after to meet him and ask for forgiveness, would he be forgiven by Jesus? And I do believe so. I do believe Jesus would have forgiven his acts. I mean, Jesus gave his life on that cross for the forgiveness of the whole world. While Jesus was being hanged on the cross, he was asking forgiveness for those who were crucifying him. Had Judas not closed his heart, had Judas not ran away, had he got, would he had another opportunity to seek for forgiveness? So now we turn our attention to Peter. Peter was also one of the disciples, and Peter had the, even the higher privilege of being part of that inner group of people um, with him, James and John, who saw things, uh, even more things than the other disciples. For example, the, that transfiguration moment where Peter saw the glory of Jesus there. Peter was, a bo was born a leader. He had a, a strong character. And sometimes we know him as well as being very forward. And sometimes his comments to be a bit uh, hasty, right? But he was this guy, that fisherman, a strong guy, ready to lead uh, his people. As the tension is building in that week, we know of Peter as someone who takes a sword to the Mount of Olives because he saw there was some tension there and he took his sword so he could protect his teacher. And we know that when the guards come and arrest Jesus, he slashes one of the guy's ears. He's there and he has to be scolded by Jesus in that moment. Do not live by the sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And Peter has this personality. And yet, at the words of a mere servant girl, Peter denies his teacher. Moments before his denial, John records in chapter 13 this conversation that Peter has with Jesus. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. 
Jesus answered, Die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And that's exactly what happened. Has a servant girl approaches Peter and he denies. And has two others come and he denies. And so Matthew records this episode. Meanwhile, while Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I do not know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gates, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, I a curse on me if I'm lying. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. So we, can, we are invited also to wonder what might have crossed Peter's mind in that moment. The Bible tells us that he wept bitterly. Again, Peter, the guy who days before had recognized Jesus as being the only way. Peter who said, Lord, where shall we go if only you have the words of eternal life and we know that you are the son of the living God. Peter, who hours before had sworn that he would never um, betray his master, that he was willing to die. And now he finds himself unworthy. He even says, I am unworthy. He finds himself thinking of himself, I'm a liar. I'm a fearful disciple. And I'm somehow a traitor as well of my Lord Jesus. Did he feel, did he think the same things as Judas thought? Perhaps that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of betrayal. Maybe there was very similar thoughts there. We are not told if he remembered the words of forgiveness and of salvation. Most probably he did not remember the promise that Jesus had said that he would die but he would rose again. We are not told. Most probably he didn't remember that. But the fact is that contrary to Judas, three days after on that Sunday morning, Peter was still alive. Peter was still alive. When the women came from the tomb and they reported that they had, the body was missing, we know that Peter was with the other apostles and he ran away to sea. And here we find a difference. And here we start thinking, what, would, what was the difference between these two men who went through some sort of similar feelings, similar circumstances? What, what, what happened there? But because Peter didn't end his life tragically, he got the opportunity to, uh, to meet the risen Lord. And we know that Jesus stayed for 40 more days, restoring the faith of his disciples, 
bringing the scripture back and, and making clear to everyone what was all that about. And when Jesus finally has an opportunity to have a quality time um, with Peter, Jesus sees that opportunity and there's a beautiful moment of Peter's restoration, restoration of his faith. And so I want to read for you as well the episode in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus go on and, and, and says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. I know of you, Peter. I know of that strength of yours. I know of that independence of yours. You did what you wanted to do. But now he starts committing him to something else. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Tradition says that Peter eventually uh, died as a martyr and he was also crucified and most probably linked with this scripture. That was something that Jesus was um, predicting. But I love this scene of restoration and digging a little bit in this scene, I, I like the details of it. They, um, the scene takes place by a, a charcoal fire. So they were fishing. Jesus uh, um, um, made a fire with some fish, and then they called them, and they made a charcoal fire. And the, the setting when Peter uh, denied Jesus back in the, back in the, the, um, the judgment at, at the house of, of Caiaphas, the Bible also told us they were there by the, the charcoal of fire warming up. So Jesus sees an opportunity where the setting was similar by a charcoal of fire, and he has this conversation. And actually, it's the only time the expression charcoal of fires or people around the charcoal of fire appears in the Gospel of John. And I love this little detail where Jesus brings Peter to kind of a familiar scene, but now giving him the chance to restore his faith and to tell Jesus, I love you. In the beginning of this chapter, Peter is out fishing again, doing what he knows best, but now Jesus calls him and calls him to shepherd the people. Jesus tells over and over, you're saying you love me? Then I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the authority to feed my lambs, feed the people that belong to me. Uh, you go, you be, um, you, you take the lead, feed my sheep. So Peter, who before was called to come and be a fisher of men, now he was being called to be a shepherd, like Jesus was a shepherd to his sheep. And most probably to follow Jesus' example, if Jesus as a shepherd was willing to die for his people, Peter would also have to be willing as a shepherd to die for the people of God. And tradition says that he was led to death as a martyr as well. 
I think that Jesus did not doubt of Peter's love. I think that the fact that Jesus asked him this three times was so that he would give Peter also three times an opportunity to say, I do love you, Lord, because Peter had denied him as well three times before. So I think Jesus is just being intentional here. And Jesus wants Peter to affirm his love and help him to feel confident in being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Yeah? I'm moving into the conclusion. But we've, 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 we've seen the setting. We've seen these two characters. And, and hopefully they are already um, reminding us of, of, of something. We are already probably see ourselves somehow um, in the behavior or of these two characters. So as I draw to a conclusion, there's just a few lessons I want to highlight for us to take home. And especially when we fall and we do fall, we do mess up big times, many times. What can we learn from these two men? First thing, first nugget, acknowledge of sin is vital. Remorse, repentance, they are medicine. Feeling guilty is important. I think it's more dangerous when we start feeling no remorse at all. No repentance of all. When we act in gray areas and we mess up, if we don't feel anything about that, then something is clearly very wrong. But the feeling of guilt and remorse are, are medicine, are important. May we not close our heart then to the need of examine uh, our heart, to the need of, 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 of understanding what's happening. And when we do understand something is wrong, the need of asking forgiveness to whom we did wrong or to our Lord and to the need of confession. It's important to know and to recognize when we mess up and it's important to examine our conscience and confess and both of those men they did that they recognized they did something wrong but nugget number two where they differed a lot was the capacity to deal with that guilt judas couldn't bear it and he thought what we might think many times about ourselves when we messed up. There is no way I can be forgiven. There is no way I can be loved back. I'm a lost cause because of the things I have done. And many times I hear of people that are seeking God taking interest in of knowing about God and about Jesus. But then they ask themselves, I don't think that God could ever forgive me because of the things I have done. I'm too messed up and God cannot forgive me. And so they find their, they close the door to that opportunity. Or even ourselves as Christians and we set our expectations and we want to grow in our faith and we want to be more like Jesus. But 
time and time again, we, we also mess up and we also betray our convictions and betray the love that we want to uh, uh, declare about our love. And, and then we think God must be so frustrated with me because I fall over and over again. Maybe I'm just a lost cause. Maybe there's just, there's just no more chances for me. And maybe we act like Judas acts and we commit some sort of spiritual suicide. Yet, Peter had a different way to deal with guilt. Yes, he went also to a, to a turmoil. Yes, he went also to, 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 to hard times. But he had the maturity. He had the maturity to endure the pain. He had the maturity to persevere in processing that guilt. And he allowed himself to eventually be open to redemption and to forgiveness back from his Lord. And I think his story teaches us that perfecting our faith, it's a process. And it's a process with many ups and downs. So... Looking at Peter, looking at the way he was able to eventually process this feeling of guilt, this feeling of unworthiness and shame, he did not throw himself into this trap of Satan, of being brooding in those thoughts, being swimming and letting that sin sink there and thinking that he's so unworthy that he's a lost cause. But when he got the opportunity, he sought for forgiveness. And when he got the opportunity, he embraced a community of friends that could help him to process that guilt. So the three last things I leave to you this morning in this, in this lesson of, these two, both of this, both of these two characters. If you come to Jesus, you will be forgiven. Even though Peter stumbled in his faith, he did not cancel his identity with Christ. And Jesus was willing to take him again and to redeem him. And even redeem him into leadership as he committed him to. So in the same way, I want to tell you this morning that God can use our weakness and because of his grace and his love, he will perfect us. Like Paul saying, my weakness is perfected in the power and in the grace of God. Jesus is willing to forgive once again. There is no sin and there is no sinner greater than Jesus' sacrifice. And so anyone is welcome. When we get caught up in our guilt and sin, do not go the way of Judas and clothe yourself off the opportunity and possibility of forgiveness that Jesus has available. Jesus is reaching out for us with the gift of a second chance for redemption. Jesus died on that cross and he rose again so that you would have another opportunity to be redeemed and saying, I love you, Lord. Thank you. My sin is not greater than Jesus' 
act of redemption on that cross. There's a second chance available for all of those. And third, there is power. There is power in a community to embrace anyone, to help overcome sin, to help overcome trauma and restoration. And I believe that in that silent Saturday, the power of the community of disciples who were weeping together and accepted Peter back. That power was vital to hold Peter on his, um, on his legs. It was important that he had someone to cry with. And I think that we as a church, we also want to laugh with you when you laugh we want to weep with you when, we, when you weep. And we want to walk together. I think that a strong, healthy church, a strong, healthy family, a strong, healthy group of friends is vital in our walk of progressing in faith, in processing whatever comes in our way. God designed relationships. God designed friendships. God designed family to be that support. So we, as Riverside, we should be that church for one another. We want to be a group of people that is not perfect, but a group of people that faithfully presents this Jesus of Nazareth that is willing to embrace, is willing to forgive, and it brings salvation. We, as a family, we want to, again, weep if you are weeping. We want to meet you at, in your needs. And we want to laugh and we want to rejoice when we understand and when we grow and when we learn more about God. May we be this support group. May we be for one another. Because I believe this was essential for Peter. And I think that God places us wherever we are, connecting to whoever we connect, to be Someone who walks the road and, 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 and walks forward for the same goal um, of growing in faith towards our Jesus. So as we, as we finish, and I would like to call the, the team to come, but I would like us to, um, to stand up and I would like to, to declare and I would like us to pray um, this piece of scripture that we found in Jude, Jude, half-brother of Jesus, um, and he wrote this. And I want us to embrace this scripture and pray um, this scripture together and commit ourselves, if we want to, to this. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to steal others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Father God, we want to be...
build each other up in your most holy faith. We want to be merciful to one another as you were merciful to us. And we want to keep ourselves in your love. Help us to rescue one another. Help us to rescue one another. Snatch one another from the flames of judgment. Help us to be this church that is united. Help us to seek unity. Help us to seek forgiveness together. Help us to seek confession together. Help us to go the way of Peter. To know your redemption. To know the restoration that always comes from you. And thank you, Lord. Thank you once again to be because you are the embodiment of love. Thank you for the way you allow yourself to be humiliated, beaten, scorned for the sake of our souls. Thank you, Father. May your love motivate us to move forward in our faith. May you be the cornerstone of our lives. We pray, we pray beg in Jesus name. Amen.